and welcome back to Talking Rugby. These are words that I don't think I thought I would ever say this soon. We have live rugby. It's back. Matt, it happened on your birthday. Oh my goodness. We're Absolutely back buzzing. Absolutely buzzing about that. Um, yeah, it was a great weekend and yeah, cracking rugby. It was incredible. It might not have been over here, but it was in New Zealand. Eden Park hosted a game this morning and then Dunedin was the game for the Highlanders Chiefs game. Let's start with the return, really. Two fantastic games of rugby to get us started. There might have only been two games, but it it was fantastic and it really feels like they carried out the pre-match presentation really well. It's just fantastic to see live rugby back on TV and not only that, but fans. Fans, yeah, in the in a, a packed out stadium. Who thought it? Yeah, um, there's a big, big milestone. Um, I think for world sports, not just rugby, it's just fantastic to see a stadium packed, all the all the flags flying as people walk into the ground. Just a real, you know, milestone that we've been waiting to to reach. It was interesting. I saw um, the All Blacks tweet before the first game, and it said, "New Zealand, we've been a team of five in a world record since since COVID. Let's talk about the Highlanders-Chiefs game. It was a fantastic game. It was classic super rugby, start to finish. You score, I score. You score again, oh, I'll have another go. It was what we know and love about super rugby, wasn't it? Yeah, classic end-to-end, fast-running backs moves. Um, I think there's a few more penalties than we would usually see, but on the whole, that was... Um, a really good Super Rugby game, really good advert for the league and what, what New Zealand rugby is all about. It really was. And that Highlanders Chiefs game, it sort of had everything, really. Let's talk about the yellow cards. Matt, the first yellow card could have been a red. Yeah, the old um, tip tackle. I've seen reds given for that. I mean, it wasn't on the head directly, but it was certainly to the neck area. There's a probably a bit of an argument that the player jumped into the tackle and spun himself around a little bit rather than getting the help from the tackler. But um, yeah, I, I was definitely thinking, hello, we could see our first um, new red card law here. It it did look like it could have been a red card. I mean, like you say, we've both seen cards, red cards given for that offence, but it wasn't. And I think the second yellow card was a straight yellow. Yeah, and that I... was. I don't have any arguments about that. I think uh, he didn't really have um, his eyes on the ball, uh, did he, when he was jumping? No. And, I mean, we spoke about last week sort of these law changes and there were potentially a few more penalties, I think. I'm I'm Mm. saying that, you know, Paul Williams, the referee, did a fantastic job of refing that. But I thought maybe there were a few more penalties. Mm. In that sense of the... um... The game, it was a little bit more like a, a Northern Hemisphere Premiership game in that uh, there's a few stop starts and uh, I don't know, more than, it, it seemed like more, maybe it's just because I've been watching old games and, um, you know. Seems old... to get away with anything in an old game. Oh yeah, exactly, yeah, Martin Johnson's punching just a, just a free kick or something, whatever it was in <laughs> the mid-90s. Well, let's talk about a game that this game reminded you of. Matt, you say that the Premiership semi-final between Gloucester and Leicester rings a bell in the way the game finished. Talk us through that. Yeah, the the first drop goal on um, Saturday Saturday morning. As um, I was like, I actually get yeah, predicted it. I said, there's, I think there's three or four minutes left on the clock still, and I thought oh, there's time for another drop goal yet. Yeah. And I actually 
recalled the the semi final where Willie Walker got Gloucester in front and then Andy Goode um, kicked to the other final drop goal of that match and uh, yeah it really reminded me of that and how Gatland got that second drop goal to win the match um, against his uh, against his dad's. <laughs> you could, you could I tell you not you could not write that that your son is going to kick a drop goal to beat you in the first game back <laughs> it was just it was beautiful <laughs> it was a kick in the teeth wasn't it really it was I'd, fantastic uh, I'd like to have heard what their their first words were once <laughs> they um, once they first met up after the match or maybe even a text I don't know would have been good to be on a fly on the wall and <laughs> this morning at 4.35 a.m. Matt, did you wake up for this? Um, yeah, I did. Uh, I went back to sleep at half time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I woke back up. I um, set my alarm and somehow I only woke up when it was like 53 minutes on the clock or something like that. Not too bad, not, not too, too bad. bad. But I have to admit I wasn't up at half past four, but did see it at Blues versus Hurricanes, 30-20, Eden Park, home of New Zealand rugby. It was another great game. A really explosive start to the match, wasn't it? Yeah, there's lots of scores early on, which uh, perhaps gave me a bit of a adrenaline at half past four <laughs> in the morning. Um, yeah, it was. I think it was fourteen, thirteen, or something like that. After twenty-five minutes, uh, end to end, again, you score, I score, classic Super Rugby. Yeah, it was a great start. It was fantastic, and let's talk about Dan Coles. What a try! Well, I had no right to score that. I Absolutely don't think. none whatsoever. Yeah, he. Well, what was it? A, a twenty-two meter sprint that will probably turn into fifty-meter sprint. Um, <laughs> we've seen him uh, do stuff like that for New Zealand, but uh, to ride those two tackles at the end and get the ball down in like you know, even the top wingers struggle to uh, control the ball and get it down without you know, going into touch. I thought that was fantastic. And um, that just really highlights for me what we've missed about rugby. You know, we've not been able to uh, tell our mates, you know, did you see this at the weekend? Did mm. you see that? And that was just a, a great moment for me. That was superb. A really great way to start. Blues chipped away and, and you know, there was some poor discipline from Hurricanes. Yeah, I think, um, again, just a, a few more penalties than we perhaps would normally see in a Super Rugby game. And that, li- that led to the Blues um, taking control, you know, as soon as you go 3, 6, 9, 10, 9, 12, we've seen it before. Um, and that, that's what happened. And then all of a sudden, it, it, the Hurricanes were out of the game. Yeah, you've just got to, you know, keep chipping away at that scoreboard and like they did. And finally, it did open up. But somebody I want to talk about, we spoke about him last week, Dan Carter, the most expensive and experienced water boy I think there's ever been. I remember watching a New Zealand game a few yeah. years ago and there was Richie McCaw as water boy. You know, it's got to be up there, Dan Carter's water boy, but that was just, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, I suppose a bit of a uh, moment of reality, I suppose have two feet on the ground definitely but he's going to be so important to the blues uh, you know we laugh and say he's the most expensive water boy but even as a water boy sort of mm-hmm. the advice he can offer when he comes on it's really a fantastic signing him going to the blues and he can only benefit them 
Absolutely. I mean, when when you see a normal water boy, um, a normal water boy, someone you know, someone you know who's not the best of their country. Yeah, they've got um, you know, they're probably wired up to their coach, and their coach gives them messages. But I imagine on this occasion, uh, it's Dan Carter himself passing messages on, um, from his own opinion, what he would do, and I suppose that is um, that's kind of why they've signed him as well as the the on field decisions that he may well make if he ever gets a start. He is brilliant. He is very, very good. Now, what has been your favourite moment from the weekend, Matt? We've had a, two fantastic games, but what have you loved the most? I, I, we've mentioned it already. I think that Dan Cole's try was, um, wow, that was, that was the moment where I realised, yeah, rugby's back and this is absolutely awesome. Uh, like I said earlier, that's the sort of thing you, that goes wild on Twitter and you, you say to your friend, hey, did you see this? And yeah, that was that was uh, gave, yeah, gave me a real good buzz. That gave you. I think mine has to be the talk at the start of the Highlanders Chiefs game, mm-hmm. and it was something about that seeing everybody cheer and the smile on people's faces. Sort of, we're back. Yeah, yeah really... and I'm, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it now, and it was just sort of a real family unity and sort of everybody regardless of whether you like rugby or not sort of really came together yeah I think they did that really well they could have got carried away and done something spectacular or you know something outside of the box but to have uh I think there was a member of the nurse there or Mm, each of the key uh, workers yeah they they got that just right I think they did they got it spot on now Hopefully it won't be too long. Too long, we hope, until rugby returns over here. And if you've been following along with the podcast, you'll know that Matt and I are looking through the Premiership 12 plus um, Newcastle each week as we discuss where they are, where they've been and potentially where they're going. And this week we're talking about one of my favourite clubs. If I had to sit and have no loyalty or support a club. And you said, which club would I like to go to? Bristol Bears. Oh, You're I... on your own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm happy. I will fly this flag. Let's look at them. They have dipped in and out of the premiership. They used to be in. Then they used to be out for, for a very long time. They came back in 16-17. They only won three games. They got relegated. Then they came back in 2018-2019. And in that season, Pat Lamb said he wanted to finish sixth. He finished ninth, but that was only five points from fourth. And now, well, they're flying. They, like I say, were once quite a powerful side. And along with sales charts this season, perhaps one of the most improved teams within the last 12 to 18 months. Pat Lamb has a vision. He has a winning formula. He's not hanging around. And the success is starting to come, isn't it, Matt? It is, yeah. And looking back at that, I thought Bristol had been in the Premiership a lot longer than they had been uh, in recent times, because I was like, I didn't realise how quick this um, improvement had come along from Pat Lamb. Like, uh, I thought they'd have had at least another two years at it, but no, it has been really quick and it's really impressive. Quite scary, actually, um, how quick it's grown. I mean, they're sitting third. They have sort of the power and the statement that they show both 
starts to the 2018-19 season and the 2020, what even year are we? 2021-20 <laughs> season, this season. It, it probably is a multi-year season. Yeah, let's just call <laughs> This season, last season, they <laughs> opened it against Bath and they thrashed them both sort of at home. And that, that, I think that first game that they showed when they came up against Bath, it just sort of showed a statement of intent that they're here for the long run. And I absolutely love to see those teams coming up from the championship and staying up. You look at Worcester, Chiefs obviously did it, um, and now Bristol are. And... They have sprinkling of stardust. Let's just look <laughs> at some, just some of the players that they have. Nathan Hughes, both Piertal brothers, Alapati Leua, Stephen Letua, Ian Madigan, Henry Purdy, Harry Thacker, Harry Randall. The list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And it covers the um, the big key positions as well. Uh, fullback, number eight, uh, ten, uh, scrum half. And as you said, it goes on. Uh, I think it's that has been um, the driving force at Bristol, and uh, those players are also going to help the uh, the well the weaker players, if you like, uh, to develop. They are indeed, and they're certainly building a squad good enough to win the Premiership. Let me just read you out some of their incoming players for next season. Carl Sinclair joins them, Mitch Eady from Saints, and then. Ben Earl and Max Maynans, both on a year's loan up from Saracens. Obviously, they're going down to the Championship. And Chris Cook joins them at Scrum Half. They really are having a fantastic sort of building of a squad. They can only get better with the signings that they're making. Mm -hmm. But money helps. And we've sort of noticed this quite a lot in the Premiership now. And they've said that they're not spending up to the salary cap, but nearly there. But they're lovely delightfully rich owner has got to have such a fantastic input in this uh, yeah we've um you know we've seen it with uh throughout the the whole of the premiership the last 20 25 years you know the the guys with the most money are always talking about things that you mentioned there and um we're seeing it again with bristol which is uh, quite interesting i suppose that they want um they're not happy that the salary cap's going down or things like that, but um, they're, they're building a nice squad. And I heard that they're not up to the salary cap, allegedly, which is quite uh, interesting and you know, provides some question marks about how far this could this team could grow. Exactly. Sort of that. If you look at the big stars that they have and the fact that they aren't spending up to the salary cap, that almost mm-hmm. is a state. It's a big statement in itself because it sort of shows that the players aren't going there for, okay, yes, they'll they'll be on a lovely pay packet, but they're not going there for the money. They're sort of going there for this family unity that Bristol have sort of built and Mm. they want to be part of this club with great success. And I don't know if anybody saw, but earlier this week on the Bristol Bears Instagram account, they showed their new state-of-the-art training facility and how that's coming along. I mean... To have a facility of this size, of the manner that they're doing it at, and this advanced, we haven't seen this in rugby. Let's be honest. This is sort of the next level, and it's fantastic that they're doing it. Yes, yeah, uh, very interesting. They're certainly, I think, probably leading in that area, which uh, you know the, the game needs it. The game needs a fresh, fresh um, you know, chapter like that. And you, we spoke about how quickly they've they've gone up the ranks perhaps with this new training centre 
and the new uh, players that they're bringing in perhaps are going to go again and get uh, go into Europe and be um, competitive in Europe, which would be quite interesting. It'll be very, very interesting. And if this season does get played out, can they do it? Can they sort of get top four and go beyond? Well, I actually think... Um, the fact that the season stopped and then it's going to, well, if it starts again, I think that will really benefit uh, a team like Bristol because of the the new players that are coming in. And um, okay, they are losing a fair, a lot of talent, but I think the incoming talent outweighs that. Um, particularly, I think obviously Carl Sinclair and Ben Earl and Max Malins, but I think Chris Cook is one of the, the most interesting ones for me because he's not going to start matches. Mm. Uh, I don't think behind. Uh, Harry Randall, but it'll certainly add a little, add a different dynamic, and you know potentially slow it down a little bit, which could, um, you know, confuse the opposition, which would be quite interesting. And I, I think, because that talent outweighs the the incoming talent outweighs the outgoing talent, I really think they will improve and real benefit from the two squads over one season, and they could actually. Maybe Pip Sale to the home semi-final space. Well, that home semi-final, it would be absolutely fantastic for them. But it would also be a little bit of a shame if they couldn't get any fans in there. Um, but that's life at the moment and it moves on. We spoke about the salary cap and that they're not really spending up to it. At the minute, probably a lot of their players are still on similar wages that they were in the Championship. But that will start to not be the case. And as the Stardust continues the demand for pay will get bigger and that you know could force that's obviously for Saracens to cheat the salary cap and it doesn't look like Bristol are doing that anytime soon at all but this drop in salary cap given sort of maybe where the players are financially it could help them yeah I mean a lot of clubs at the minute are gonna have to cut their pay well players' wages quite a lot and a lot of players are going to have to take a lot of cuts. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe some of those championship wages or lower wages that they've got in their squad that um, really um, provides them with some backup in the important positions, maybe those guys won't have to take that much of a, a cut. And I don't know, maybe that will be better for their player ethos or player you know, mentality. Uh, rather than chopping and changing contracts here and there. Well, whatever they do, it looks like they're going to be here a long, long time and they won't be in the Premiership any... The premiership? They will be in the Premiership. They won't be in the <laughs> Championship anytime soon, I'm sure. So that's this week. We will be back soon with another team and some more rugby news. Thank you for joining us. Matt, enjoy this week. I'll see you soon. See yeah. ya.